This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. Maestro follows five women from across the globe as they prepare to perform at La Maestra, the only competition in the world solely for female orchestra conductors. Join us as we talk with Maggie Contreras about the challenges facing female conductors and how Maggie's background as an actor helped her to create a poignant intimacy with her subjects. Stay tuned. Maggie Contreras, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Great, thank you. Getting ready for Tribeca here in a couple days, so very excited. Yes, uh, congratulations. Just to remind our uh, listeners and viewers, uh, we are talking about the uh, new feature documentary, Maestra. It is premiering at Tribeca on June 9th. We're embargoed till then, so but the first you'll hear this podcast probably about a few days after that. Um, so welcome again, Maggie, and congratulations to making uh, Tribeca. I mean, how does it feel? I mean, if I understand correctly, this is your, not only are you premiering, but this is your direct, directorial debut. Is that correct? Yes, I was a doc. I am a documentary producer. I have been for quite some time, but yes, this is my first time helming. So not bad. First time and you're, you're, you're at Tribeca. So Very good. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing all right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am. I am happy about our, uh, our ratio here so far. Yes. It's a okay. decent batting average. Yeah. Um, and we have to say it, we're really digging the hat and everything. Thanks. So you're our first, I believe, except for maybe the odd baseball cap, I'm sure you're the first First guest to really be rocking a hat on the. On well, the I think show. we both need hat sponsors, Matthew. Yes, I think we're gonna. That's I, you're. That's what you're obviously aiming for. And now I'm realizing yeah. that's what I've been missing. So um, that's what we're gonna go for. Uh, but we don't need to talk about hats. Let's talk about Maestra. Maestra, what is uh, how we usually start off the show? How does what is Maestra about? Maybe you can give us a bit of a synopsis, especially since most of our. I doubt very. Only a few of our listeners or viewers will have seen it if they've been lucky enough to get to Tribeca. So Maestro is a feature documentary following a group of women from around the world who are all competing in the only competition for female orchestra conductors. So it's a follow documentary of five um, women with a very unique job who are inhabiting the space that has traditionally uh, a role that has traditionally been held by men. And this uh, competition takes place in Paris at the Paris Philharmonic, and it happens every two years. It's new. So in 2020, during the height of the pandemic, that was its first year. And we follow the second iteration of the competition. Okay. And as you say, um, well, it's a, I mean, female conductors are not as uncommon as they used to be. I mean, we have Marin Alsop, who's in your, your doc and others, but but they still face many challenges, which your your film does sure. does capture quite well. Yeah, when Marin left uh, Baltimore, and uh, when, she, when she left that post, she held for a very long time. At that time, she was the only woman um, right. at a major American orchestra. And when she left, there was zero. And thankfully, we have Natalie um, down in Atlanta. So now we have one again. Right. And uh, at the moment, as we're speaking, uh, the uh, LA Phil is looking for a replacement for Gustavo Dudamel. And we're crossing our fingers that we can add a second woman to the podium in the United States. Well, well, excellent. I think that's uh, that's it's great because as, as your film shows, I mean... Well, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but the performances are absolutely amazing in this. I I found. Um, yeah, conducting is incredibly athletic. It's yeah. um, they come off stage drenched in sweat, <laughs> so it's it's um, they're musicians. They're they're so kinetic with their bodies. It's almost like dancing and acting, and it's it's all all put together uh, with this this incredible music. Uh, it's fascinating to watch. One of my favorite parts about making the documentary was watching how they prepare. Hmm. It's very solo work. It's very, it's, I, no one has ever used the word lonely, but it's hmm. an art form that is quite lonely in, 
until you're with a group of musicians. All of the preparation that takes place, the the months of preparation that takes place mm -hmm. to uh, study and memorize a score, and we can get into what they're actually doing, which is interpretation. It's right. all happening in their imaginations. They're mm -hmm. sitting there, um, and what what you're seeing if you're with a conductor watching them rehearse is they're in a quiet room alone and they're reading the score and they almost sing the notes bum 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 mm. you know they they're they're articulating the notes um and they're they're visualizing where each part of the uh each section is in the orchestra and it's it's almost akin to a, a professional athlete how they how they think about they think about that 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 basket they think about that pitch they think about mm. that winning touchdown and it's muscle memory and mm. they go over it and over it and over it over it and that is the majority of the work and then you get in your i don't know mm. i think it, they don't get very long to rehearse with an orchestra mm. in a professional setting much less a competition where you have like 10 minutes or something to rehearse right. with your orchestra. Right. It's a very, very short amount of time um, before you're able to actually put the, all that work into action. Hmm. I mean, I think, so, there, I mean, obviously, what a challenge for a filmmaker, right? Because, I mean, more than at least one or tw two of them says, well, it's okay, because whatever, about their work environment or whatever, is that they can just do it all in their head. So, so how, you, how you capture that. But I love how you open the film. Because you're talking yeah. about that physicality again with, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Melissa Brunet? Yes. Who, yes. Uh, that, was, that was an incredible beginning to the film, I thought. Yeah, that reminded me how, so for people who hasn't, haven't seen the film, um, the film opens in with a scream, a really primal mm. scream in the dark. And I want, people are going to have this preconceived notion of what a documentary about orchestra conductors is going to be. <laughs> I would. I mean, of yeah. course, we're going to judge what that's going to be. And I just wanted to knock that stereotype. Whatever people are thinking, I wanted the first their first reaction to the film to be like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. Right. So the film opens in the dark with a scream. And what it is, is it's Melise, one of our mm -hmm. uh, five contestants that we're following, working with one of her university students one on one. And I, she works with her in a very unique way, really, really special way, mm. trying to get the, their instrument is their body and the entire orchestra. Yeah. So in order for the music to be reflected um, and be brought through their body, through their gesture, your body has to be supple and has to be receptive and you have to be loose and you can't be judging. How do I feel on the podium? What do I look like? Mm -hmm. Like, and I remember this, my, my background is theater. Right. Um, I, 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 I'm a product of theater training and watching Melise work with her student reminded me of how one of my most um, inspiring uh, tutors w worked with, with, with me, with our class of really just, mm. you have to get your body into like this neutral space so that you can utilize it to the best of your ability as an artist, because it is your expression. Yeah. So if there's any tension, if there's any doubting yourself, if there's, if, if you're in your head at all and you're tight in your body, you can't fully express the music with your body. Mm. It's, um, it's so, it was a really, I loved watching her work with her student. Yeah, no, but, I think. Yeah. No, no, I was just gonna. No, I was just gonna say. No, I, she's. Uh, um, I, I completely agree. I think. Um, I mean, I, I should also say. I, I, I even made a note. I was. I should say something about spoiler alerts. So I, I, because it is about a competition, and you follow these people. We won't. Uh, I will not ask you questions to try to give away certain things about. But. Uh, but uh, so maybe the first spoiler is that we, you now will know if you haven't seen this yet, it does start with a scream. But I think it gives you a flavor for the, the type of film this is. And you're talking about that physicality because even that whole scene, she even makes reference to, you know, her male uh, 
instructors and at the conservatory or whatever told her not to do it that way, right? About how to dress. And, uh, and they all face this, that yes, it's this, you have to put all your soul and body into it, but then they turn around and they get feedback even during the competition about, well, you didn't smile enough or you put too much yeah. into it. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a real challenge for these, for these women. It is. There's, there's a couple things to break down there. So historically this music the term classical music is problematic for me it's like that's a whole other episode Mm. of your podcast of like what does classical music mean well it depends upon what culture you're talking about there's classical music in different cultures we're talking about western classical music which was generally composed by white western men Mm -hmm. because the people paying for it were people in the courts who were commissioning these pieces. Mm. So um, even even the musicians, so it's pretty well known that the Vienna Philharmonic didn't even have a female player until 1997. 1997, the first woman was uh, brought into the orchestra, um, a harpist. So yes, uh, you have women who are stepping into these spaces that have a very strong stereotype attached to them. Hmm. If you are to draw a cartoon character, there's many cartoon characters of conductors out there, and I they can all think tend of a few. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Either they're either rabbits, mice, <laughs> a very famous mouse, a very famous rabbit, yes. or they. Or they're sort of portly uh, white men with floppy hair flying all over the place. And there's a sense of authoritarianism and, and, um, and instead of inspiring and nurturing from uh, trust from the musicians, it's, it's more of a command. Mm. And so not only are women having to step into these roles, but they're also having to break down the stereotype of, okay, what does, what does leadership look like? What does sort of taking charge of an orchestra look like? Um, You going, going back, you were talking about the physicality and how a lot of this preparation is in their Mm. heads. Mm. And one thing I loved and had an intention for from the beginning was playing with soundscapes. So, this was going to be an auditory experience. And for me, there's three soundscapes happening. There's what you're hearing, say the music Hmm. in the room when they're actually in front of the orchestra. And then you have the music that they're listening to. Every single one of these conductors listened to music all the time. They had headphones in, they were listening to their pieces. And so it was that music and being inside and outside of that sort of that, that um, auditory space. And then it was the music in their imaginations, how it sounded mm-hmm. in their, in their heads. And it was really fun with the sound design to jump from to all of these sort of three different auditory spaces mm. um, and for also, it was this idea of what's going on outside of the world and them having to shut that off um, in order to concentrate. So one of our one of our participants is a single mother with twins. And she um, she's they're five. So they're running around the house and <laughs> she's doing most of the caregiving. Her mom's there occasionally to help. And so having to have her noise canceling headphones on while they're running around and while she's trying to learn and study these phenomenal, difficult scores, that was a lot of fun to play with. Uh, and and it's, it was a, I, I love Zoe. I think I, I'm as someone who's got to, who have a, my wife and I have kids. I don't know how she does it. It's absolutely amazing what she does, but it is amazing. And, uh, and uh, yeah, no. Well, I like all the subjects you had, but I, you know, she, she, in her her own her way, certainly is uh, was quite quite a compelling um, character. Yeah, and that kind of brings something up. I mean, this is such an ultra competitive 
field, right? It's like it's or it's like the arts in general. I mean, it's not like uh, great conducting jobs are uh, a dime a dozen. They're they're very few, and you struggle to f- they struggle to find employment and gigs. And as you said, Zoe. So he travels the globe just doing temporary conductorships. And uh, was it uh, Melise? Had she done like eight moves in 12 years? Well, so? 12 moves. Okay. Oh, wait. Yeah. It's wh- a large number a lot. in a short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every year she's moving, it seems like. So, I mean, it's just this. Uh, so I guess it, it, it would only make sense that they would have an incredible passion for what they do because... I mean, it's such a challenge to do it uh, and to be gainfully employed. Um, and the thing you were, but one thing I want to get pick up on is you're talking about what you know you wanted to sort of with the audience kind of well, maybe shock is not the right word, but get us kind of wake us up. I mean, what is it about these uh, these? Was there anything that surprised you? Because you might, did you have preconceived ideas going in, and then these these women just surprised you probably at every uh, at every turn. Of course, of course. I definitely have preconceived notions. I had an idea in my head of what I feel like. As a, this is not talking about documentary filmmaking, but I feel like yeah. you always have to have an idea of what it is you're getting into. But then the magic and joy and and fun and danger mm. is to take a step back and and let it blossom into what it needs mm. to be. So I had I had done pre-interviews with everyone, mm. with all 14 of the candidates. There's 14 in this competition and there's it's a process of elimination. There's three rounds of elimination. And I'd done pre-interviews so I knew bits and pieces about people, sort of sort of top line. Um, like I knew Zoe had two kids, for example. Mm. Uh, Melissa, I knew she was, I knew she had, been born and raised in Paris and she was living in Iowa of all places, a Parisian in Iowa. I mean, for the listeners who don't know, like I had never been to Iowa and I traveled to most States in the United States. Like you don't go to Iowa. Um, Sorry, Iowa. Uh, But that in itself was compelling. Like Mm. why is she there? But I had no idea about her backstory, for example. And every single one, of of these women um and i feel as though this is this is sort of the same this is sort of the attitude i bring to anyone Mm. i'm i'm meeting um with a camera is you have a story to tell every single person has a story to tell and it's just a matter of being present with that person and doing some very deep listening and um it it always it unfolds and then you figure out how to connect those pieces in the edit but yes everything for the most part was surprising mm-hmm. uh, it all unfolded as we went along actually i think that's cuz i do want to follow that up but let's um let's give our listeners an early break if you don't mind so we'll be right back with maggie contreras the director and producer of Maestra, premiering at Tribeca on June 9th. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Maggie Contreras, the director and producer of Maestra. It's uh, premiering at Tribeca on June 9th. We've been talking about uh, the making of the film uh, and you, these incredible women that you've you you were talking about. Um, um, well, finding these subjects, and you start off with 14 and. I mean, how did you narrow it down? Because, and then, okay, so we talked about spoiler alerts. I won't, the one thing I will say is, I mean, you even, you even get the winner in your group. So you didn't know that going in, that that was going to, to necessarily happen. It maybe wouldn't have mattered, but it is, it is interesting. I mean, uh, and all of them very compelling. You said everyone's got a story, but how did you narrow it down to those four initially? Uh, And then I think a fifth one came along at, 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 yes. at the competition. Yes. So so there's 14 candidates 
Um, all 14 were open to participating. So that was step mm. one. Is it going to narrow it down by having some no's? So yeah. that wasn't the case. However, uh, not to harp on about COVID, um, but it's okay. we were doing this during COVID. Right. So not everyone was accessible to me. Not every uh, country was allowing people in. Um, right. There were places I would have loved to have gone that I could not. Right. In fact, uh, one woman from Hong Kong ended up not mm. being able to travel right. uh, to the competition. So yeah. uh, there, was the, there was limit there. Uh, there was also... We, we were not fully financed um, throughout the process. So we didn't always have the financing to go to all the places I might have wanted to go. So we were naturally, our palette was naturally limited, hmm. which is great. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's sometimes yeah. if you have this attitude that anyone can be fascinating um, if put under the microscope of a lens, uh, then it was a pretty good gamble that um, I ended up following seven of the 14. Right. That the five that we ended up with were going to work. These are very, these are people with a very, very unique job. So mm. I felt it, it was, it was going to be, I was felt pretty certain going in that that everyone is going to have a compelling story of course some more so than others uh those with more struggle um, mm. with more stakes uh are of course going to be more interesting from a narrative perspective um but so i ended up having to start off with the people who were in the country i was in which was the united states yeah. so there were three contestants there one melise who is originally from Paris, but ended up in Iowa. Um, another woman who did not, her, she didn't end up making the cut of the film, mm. um, but she was up in Michigan. She was a South uh, Korean grad student in at University of Michigan and spent a lot of time with her. And then Tamara, who is in Atlanta, the Atlanta oh. area. Okay. And then... A little bit more funding came through. Uh, Zoe was all Zoe, who who is based in Athens. Mm. Um, really wanted to meet her, um, and there were two Polish contestants. I wanted to see one of them. Uh, I ended up, yeah, being able to follow one of them. Mm. And then we have Ustina, um, Ukrainian right. from Ukrainian, living in in um, Germany, who we met at the mm. competition and not a spoiler, but um, another surprise, something I could never have seen coming was Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It happened eight days before the competition. When we landed at Charles de Gaulle, there was a sea of, um, I, I think they were NATO mm. um, military people that were being right. deployed. And yeah, we were entering with our bags to go to a conductor competition and they were leaving. Right. It was really surreal. Yeah. And so one of the candidates in the competition um, is Ustina, who has family in Ukraine. And there was a Russian as well who we were following um, mm. who ended up not making the cut. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was... It was absolutely fascinating and, and that the Russian woman had left Russia because she'd gotten a tip that she should get out or she wasn't going to get any flights. Wow. So she managed to get out early uh, and packed her bags and hasn't returned. And it's been over a year. Wow. I mean, so, I mean, maybe back to so swinging us back and forth, but I, I was going to say if back, so you've, you end up at this, so you've, you fall into this competition, and so, I mean, how is how are they judged? Because I think what we do see is we definitely see their performances, and I think you were already talking about how they get so little time with an orchestra even to practice and things. But uh, ultimately, because, I mean, I have some music background, but, you know, I'm listening to it on the headphones and everything, and they all, 
all the performers sound great. You know, <laughs> it's like, how do you differentiate? Mm-hmm. Um, and or and do you anything you could share on that? Sure. So um, one of the goals and challenges of the first act of the film. So the first, right. in this case, 25 minutes was people need to understand enough about what conducting is and what to look for and what to listen for in order to fully appreciate the competition. So, okay, what is the sort of 101 of conducting so that when I go into this competition, I feel as a viewer um, knowledgeable enough to really be able to uh, appreciate what's happening. And (laughs) what was very challenging was when I sat down with the experts, with the judges, Mm. when I sat down with um, the conductors that we were following, I asked them all, what makes a great conductor different from a good conductor? And what does it look like when you're failing? What does it look like when you're succeeding? Mm. And every single person used the word subjective. Right. (laughs) That was my pet (laughs) for the film. It was the subjective film. Right. And it's true. I mean, I feel like for even the novice ear, Mm. um, or rather at least the novice eyes, when Mm. someone steps onto the podium and you've seen people all in a row, you can kind of tell the ones that stand out from from the others. Mm. But then judging, but then calling that group like, from the 14 down to right. to the seven and then trying to judge with those seven it is it is incredibly subjective i yeah. i know that judges didn't agree necessarily on who were passed through mm. it's it's not easy and it i'm only speaking for myself but right. it seems like you should close your eyes and judge mm. conductor or any musician that's why um most, I, I I don't know if you'd have to fact check me on if I use the word all, but um, major orchestras do blind auditions. It's behind a curtain. You mm. don't, so you don't see the person because it's about what they're, what sort of music they're producing. And mm. um, that's not the case for conductors. And I, again, speaking for myself, I'm going to venture to say that it's difficult to, to, not take into consideration Hmm. that a conductor represents an orchestra. And in cases Hmm. of major orchestras around the world, those are huge cultural institutions with a lot of money behind them Hmm. representing some of the like, you know, representing cities across the world. It's, some a city's philharmonic is it's one of its major cultural institutions and and how do they advertise that they usually advertise it with the conductor right and those conductors are on big posters on sides of buildings mm. so how someone presents themselves um i think is judged and yeah. that's problematic yeah. As we see in the film. No, indeed. It's captured very well. And I will say, just for my own, because I did watch it with, I did, I, I had to, I watched it with my eyes open. Uh, but uh, um, you'll be happy to know. Uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, look, we, we get our few minutes with each one on each performance and each round. Um, but I, let's put it this way. I, uh, Probably just based on that little bit, I I wouldn't have picked the winner, you know. That, that doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. I'm I'm not an expert on conducting or music, but but it's interesting, you know. Little things you think you pick up on, you're like, well, that person doesn't quite have that or this, you know. She's the one that's got it or whatever. No, it's uh, went completely differently actually. And and it's one of one of the things that's really fun for me is watching people's reactions and feeling a connection to one of the conductors. Like, yeah. oh, 
I feel I, I really loved so and so because, or I really love so and so because, mm. and they're all valid. They're right. they're all valid reasons to to be attracted to a specific person, um, but it just goes to show the subjectivity once again, and then. I question, you know, sh should ha should it be a competition? Should it or should it be a showcase? Hmm. Uh, however, competitions are very important for conductors. This isn't another point is that it this isn't a competition just for a competition's sake. A conductor cannot audition their instrument because their their instrument is the hmm. orchestra. So it, there are very few circumstances for conductors who are just starting out to be able to show off their talents and especially show off their talents in front of a room of people who are decision makers for their jobs. Mm. So conducting competitions are, are, are sort of normal. They exist, yeah. um, obviously mixed gendered, mm. um, but it's, it's rare to have women chosen to participate and more rare for those women to make it to the final rounds. So it's it also brings media attention. People love a competition, right? right. They, right. It, there's sponsors, there's there's media, there's a winner, there's people love that. So yeah. whereas I personally would like to see more of a showcase environment mm -hmm. instead of mm -hmm. a competition, um competitions are important and 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 why why shouldn't they get their own? Well, no, exactly, but and also as as I think you're alluding to, these are make a make or break uh, situations for for these women in, in terms of career and getting that next job or or being you know they all want to be like we all do. We all want to be successful at what we do, and that how you do at these comp you know competitions is going to determine that in in many in many ways. Um, how did this how did this project come about? Was this your idea? Um, so this is the second, we followed the second um, right. iteration of the competition. The first one was in 2020. And uh, National Public Radio, thank yeah. you very much, where I get lots of my ideas, was covering, doing a story about the first um, iteration yeah. in 2020. Mm. And heard about it on the radio. Um, my producing partner, Neil Berkeley, um, heard it and called me up and was like, Hey, did you hear about this thing? I'm like, yeah, used to want to be a conductor. And I was about five, six, <laughs> Ben Spoons, John right. Williams. Right, right. <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, you should direct this, I think. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was kind of, a, it was as simple as that. Um, it just felt really, it felt right. Yeah. Uh, the the story felt so clean like so i i'm a i'm a producer yeah. um and it was a perfect producing project it had this clean mm. calendar we heard about it and uh it gave us just enough time right. to be able to pitch it out to be able to try and find the funding do the follow and then do the competition and right. then do the post. Like it was this beautiful year and a half that mm. was mapped that was mapped out. And it's so nice to have um uh something set in time that you have right. to achieve instead of it being sort of a, a an open-ended story that mm. you have to find an end to or that can go on forever. It right. it, it was gonna happen with or without our cameras. So yeah. it was it was nice. Also, um, just to be able to say, hey, this is happening. We want to mm -hmm. do this. It's happening on this date. Uh, help us make it happen. Well, so, um, but then if it, it just, wasn't that right at the beginning of COVID pretty much? Because uh, if they were 2020, then if they happened right. usually around in March, I mean, that's, uh, that must have, well, it had its challenges or it was the perfect thing to do, as you say. You had this year and a half to two to 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 get there right to to get it all made yes so or no i guess more important how do you gain access to la maestra, la maestra? you know i mean that is something too because it's sure easy to yeah, have an idea but uh they've yeah. got to be a, a, okay with it too 
I can definitely, yeah. yes. So La Maestra is put on by the Paris Philharmonic and the Paris Mozart Orchestra, uh, two large cultural institutions um, and organizations in Paris. So first you had, you had the cultural barrier. You had right. the fact that they didn't know me. Why should right. I be the one? Why my team? Um, our past accolades uh, were meant really nothing mm. in this other culture. Right. Um, so, and then there's sort of the uh, the bureaucratic process of of going through various meetings and approvals in in an institution as large as the Paris Philharmonic. Right. So there was that process. Yeah. And it, it doesn't move very fast. And there are holidays <laughs> and long weekends. <laughs> and then, so as you say, you're coming at this from the producer standpoint, but then at what point do you say, you know what, I'm going to direct this too? Oh, the beginning. Oh, at the beginning. I heard about it. Absolutely. Excellent. Definitely. This was the yeah. perfect first project. This was the, the perfect first uh, directing story mm. for me to to take on it, it was it's a world that i've always been fascinated by yeah. one that i have been bathed in but from an outsider and from an outsider's perspective like mm. we my family wasn't one to have the privilege of buying concert tickets all the time but my mom was constantly playing the music in the house Right. And whenever there was a free concert in the park, we were always there. Mm. And she was she would take me to the orchestra pit, and instead of going to the snack bar, we'd be trying to talk to the musicians during their break. Um, so it was just an appreciation. My my mom appreciated it. I remember my babysitter; she appreciated it. We would talk about like what sort of stories do you hear in the music. Mm. Um, I. You know, as, I was as a kid, I was like fascinated by the Nutcracker, right? There's this, right, an right. easy story, Peter and the Wolf, like these very simple um, ways to bring young people into the music worked for me. Mm. Uh, and I, I picked up an instrument as soon as I was allowed to with school, fourth grade, picked up my flute. I still own the same Yamaha flute, pick Excellent. it up every once in a while, still play it. Yeah. And um, there was just always a, a, a real appreciation um so even though the gilded concert halls of paris felt very far away uh from me and where and how i grew up uh there was i always felt as though it was my music it was it was mm. i was allowed to be participatory in it um so when this opportunity came I could clearly see how I could connect with these people. And then of course there's the being a woman of it all, mm -hmm. uh, the stories and struggles that each one of these five women um, shared. I, by nature of being a living, breathing human being mm -hmm. who happens to be a woman in our current society, mm -hmm. I too, could identify with a lot of what they're going through. So there was a trust factor that was achieved rather quickly. And also they're artists. I'm an artist. Mm. Like there is an immediate language. Right. Um, right. And way for us to connect. Well, I think it was great. Cause I think you get a shout out in the film, don't you? Towards the end. I mean, one of them's like, uh, Maggie, did you see the uh, Larry David guy? You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> she keeps I, I was very touching as the one character who keeps trying to f tell everyone there's someone who looks just like larry david in the audience or something and yeah that's no gonna one... feel very abstract to listeners who haven't seen the film but <laughs> but, we'll, but, but but i love i just i just love tamara she's yeah. her her way of of sort of coping with the stress that's going on yeah. around her was to yeah. uh you know, randomly bring up a Larry David lookalike that was right. in the audience. Um, yes. <laughs> and so this is all happening. You're making this film. It's largely uh, 21, 22. Um, and then just coincidentally, does, because uh, I know it gets mentioned even on the Tribeca site, it's uh, 
something about the buzz around Tar, but uh, you know, Tar comes out at the same time. Is that just just fortunate or not? I don't know for you. Utter coincidence, yeah. and not just Tar, but we have. Bradley Cooper playing Leonard Bernstein coming right. out. We have right, um, right. the conductor had about Marin Alsop that had right. just premiered at Tribeca, um, I think in 2020. Yeah. And then there was another like the conductors are in the zeitgeist. Mm. It just was one of those lucky things that happened. We were in post-production when the majority of the world heard about tar existing. Right. Um, so yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> just, it just circumstance. I guess now is the, now is the time of the conductor. <laughs> it's, um, I think that says something, but I'm not exactly sure what it does say, but uh, unless you have a view on why we're becoming uh, interested in conductors. No clue. Yeah. I don't think anyone can answer that question. It is so interesting. It's, yeah. I think it's just happenstance. Yeah. And then one last thing on the production side. I mean, how did Worldwide Pants and David Letterman become involved? Because that kind of might surprise some people. David Letterman gets a credit, you know. It's, um, But they do a lot. Of, I mean, they do some, a lot of interesting things. They do. So uh, it does, it, it, it will seem sort of random. Um, David Letterman is a classical music fan. He, he? Yeah. wants to make document. He wants to make. Uh, he he wants to make content that is good for the world. So mm. he recognized uh, that in this project. Um, but Neil Berkeley, who's my producer, right? I produced for a very long time. He's a documentary director. Um, he and I were at Tribeca in 2017 with uh, Gilbert Gilbert right. Gottfried documentary, right? And. Uh, Neil had been working with Worldwide Pants on various other projects mm. and brought this to them. Yeah, and they were our, our first financing in, which led to um, Foothill Productions and Jamie Wolf's company, led right. to some many other wonderful funders who came on for that. Wow. Um, I think we're actually... Um, noticing we're actually starting to come to the end of our, our time together. But I wanted to ask you about your, um, uh, you mentioned earlier, I or was it maybe off camera, but you come at this from an acting background. How do, how do you find that helps you with, uh, so then you went into produ product, you know, producer, but now you've, you're a director as well and documentary. How does that, do you, how does that help you? Or do you I find I love it? that question. Thank you for asking. I really empathize with people in front of the camera and mm. i feel as i love working with non-actors in front of the camera um to me it's 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 uh it's almost like a scene like my nonverbal, my nonverbals are going to affect the person in front of me mm. i love and being able to react to them and really hear what they're saying and little mm. tricks to help them feel calm and them feel like they can be their authentic self in front of the camera. Those are those, the, those little tricks and tools that I have in my toolkit are things that I learned as an actor when I was in front of the camera. Mm. So I have a real empathy for, for them and their experience and um, hopefully have little ways to help them feel, um, like they can be their unique selves and and it, it is a conversation i feel almost in, in in a scene with them if you're interviewing someone it is a back and forth mm. uh, or being able to observe in a verite sense mm. um, approaching it almost like a piece of theater that's happening live in front of you um, I don't want to minimize someone's real life experiences by making them sound trivial, but right. but there are there is a definite crossover in the skill set that I really enjoy. No, I think it's very interesting because I mean, you have all kinds of different people who do documentary, and I've had directors who say they they can never imagine ever being in front of the camera. In fact, they don't even want to be interviewed on this really because they they're just so used to being always behind the camera, but. Uh, at the same time, um, and, th and then at the same time acknowledging they can't believe these people do go in front of camera, you know? Um, 
but I thought that was it's it's very uh, it's very interesting. And I I think I mean would say what was well they're conductors, so maybe that's part of it as well. But everyone seems so comfortable and poised in front of a camera, and I I can't imagine that's usually the norm. Yeah, uh, two two points on that. Yes, they are performers. They these yeah. people are performers. Are used to being front front and center. They understand body language too. They understand all of this. And it, talking sort of artist to artist, they understood that this was my art form, and I was telling a story about their art form. Mm. Um, I, however, there is an intimacy in this film mm. that. People asked me how long, like, how long was I with them for them to be able to open up? Right. And in some cases, it was five days. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that you have this pressure of getting to a person's essence very, very quickly, um, I didn't have months to do that. I had weeks and in sometimes days to to get to the core of who these people to of the core of their humanity. Mm. And I, um, I, yeah, I like to say that my, my background helped me do that. Well, I think whatever it did, whatever your background was that you certainly did do it. I mean, you've, you've, and it's, uh, uh, I, I think that's the word I've, I haven't used yet. Uh, intimate is, uh, is an extremely good way of describing, uh, much of this film. Um, and then if uh, I can just ask you one more, two more questions. Um, you've got this awesomely eclectic career, at least in terms of your range of topics and things. And I, I can't believe I haven't seen the Godfrey, uh, Gilbert, um, Gilbert Godfrey doc. So I'm definitely going to check that out. But uh, what is next for you after this? I mean, I know you're basking in the glory of this film, but uh, what's going, what's, what's ahead? What, what else can we look for? coming oh, from yes. you. you can't can't bask for too long you gotta, no. you gotta keep moving <laughs> forward um i'm developing a couple of projects one i'm particularly excited about it's a aaron brockovich character um all documentary i i don't have a desire to go into narrative at right. least at the moment Man. um so yes it's a another scenario where there is uh there is an event happening in this in in this instance. It's a it's a court case, mm. and it's following a phenomenal mother, a single mm. mother, as she uh, navigates this this case. Mm. And what what ties all of these different films that you've done? I'm together? still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> I wish I had a good answer for you, but solar energy. Yeah. A beloved New York comic, <laughs> uh, conductors. Yeah. I can't figure it out. The only what what drives it for me is first it has to be entertaining, right? right movies, right. it's movies. We eat popcorn. Uh -huh. um, movies have to be fun. They have to be entertaining for me. Mm. Mm. Uh, there are plenty of amazing colleagues of mine out there who are going to chase that issue film and who are right. going to. Right. Win Oscars for it. For me, first and foremost, it has to be fun. It has to be entertaining, and hopefully, you learn something while you're being entertained. Um, mm -hmm. You're touched. Your humanity is touched um, while you're being entertained. So I think that's the through line for me. Is that the core? They're they're interesting stories, and hopefully, you're entertained for 88 minutes. Well, I certainly was. I had a couple bowls of popcorn, and uh, and uh, and it is entertaining, and it's compelling, and it's uh, and it's tightly edited. I haven't said anything about that, but I felt it. Yes, was, and it was edited in the UK and um, Northern Ireland. Oh, really? Yes, Red Red Wolf, uh, oh, based that... in Belfast. Wow, Eliza wow. Benora's company, um, incredible editors. I. Yes, I, I adore Belfast. There is a creative community that is exploding there. It reminds me of like what Atlanta was doing 10, 15 years ago. Is that uh, right? Yes. Ever since Game of Thrones. So Game of Thrones was shot right, there. Right. And they had to build studio systems in order to support it. 
Uh, I think they're on their third, fourth, maybe fourth studio they're building now. Mm. And um, I mean, the my color and mix was done by the people who were making dragons scary. And like, <laughs> like the same people that did Game of Thrones <laughs> did the color and mix on Maestro. Um, it's incredible color and mix, by the way. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you have Red Wolf based there. Um, I followed this editor over. She had uh, uh, edited a friend of mine, mm. uh, his documentary about David Crosby. And so that's okay. how I met her. And she had moved over during the pandemic mm. um, from LA. She's actually Italian, long story. Yeah. Um, she's got an incredible company there. You've got Yellow Moon there. Um, I'm working with Fine Point Films um, on this other project who are based there. Belfast is the place. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, that's I'm going to check that out, actually. I'm, I'm As you know, we're based in the UK. I was not aware of that scene actually yes. so that's i was uh... living in hollywood northern ireland i left hollywood <laughs> los angeles california right. to edit my film in hollywood dropped an l northern ireland excellent well uh maggie thank you so much for coming on we really enjoyed chatting with you uh just to remind our listeners and viewers we were talking with maggie Contreras, the director and producer of maestra it's premiering at tribeca on june 9th but i'm sure um don't know when, don't know how, but I'm sure you're going to be able to check it out uh, in the not-too-distant future, and you definitely should. So thanks again, and hopefully, if we haven't scared you off, we can have you on for your, after your next project, because I'm sure it's going to be another, uh, another winner like this one. So thanks so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Factual America. If you did, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. I would also like to thank those who make this podcast possible. A big shout out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in York, England. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who makes sure we continue getting great guests onto the show and everything runs smoothly. And finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Many of you have been with us for four incredible seasons. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. This is Factual America. Signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.